Please open your Bibles with me today to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, I'd like to look at verses 1 through 15 today. Today we'll be looking at the subject of marriage and divorce. And just to set our context where we are in Matthew's gospel, let's just jump right in this morning. Take a look with me at verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. Up until now, Matthew's gospel has been primarily recording to us the events of Jesus' ministry in the area of Galilee. The the Sea of Galilee, of course, Capernaum was kind of the home-based city. Many of his disciples were from there. And most of Jesus' ministry that Matthew has told us has been surrounded that area and some, you know, close-by areas. But now Matthew uh, begins to record for us events that take place in Judea. And Judea is where Jerusalem was, all part of Israel, but a different region. And now Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. This would be his way to the cross, which would take place at Jerusalem. Now, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus had spent other time in Jerusalem. But Matthew chooses only this last and final time in Jerusalem to record for us. And so... Both Mark and Luke uh, established this as well. Jesus working his way toward Jerusalem, working his way to the cross. And he is there on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, beyond the Jordan. That would have been east side away from Jerusalem, but on his way to the city of Jerusalem. And his popularity, as we can see, is national. He is a well-known figure by now. Even outside of the Galilee area, we see multitudes flocking to him, he's ministering to them there, he's healing them there, no doubt teaching them there as well. But not only are the crowds following Christ there, but as we'll see here, so do the Pharisees, so do those that want to challenge him, test him, contend with him. And we find that account now. Let's finish the balance of our text. Pick it up with me in verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality And marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he, excuse me, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Four things that I'd like to cover today in this text that we see Jesus addressing. Number one, of course, marriage. He will speak on marriage. He will, number two, speak on divorce. He also has words about being single. And then finally, the heart of Jesus for children. The first thing we notice is the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask a testing question. It says in verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him. They were trying to catch Jesus in some kind of a mistake or an error, or they were trying to catch him in his words, try to give, make him answer in such a way that might put him in contention with certain religious ideas of the day. This is not sincerity. These are not men coming to learn from Jesus, but rather an attempt to trap him and undermine his ministry. Now, divorce was a topic of debate in the days of Jesus. There were two camps within the ideas of divorce, two theological, if you will, religious ideas, and they were They were kind of represented by two leading rabbis of the culture during that time. One of them was Rabbi Shammai, and he had a very strict and conservative view of divorce. And as a result, his view was somewhat unpopular. There was also the Rabbi Hillel, and he had a much more lax and liberal view of divorce, and his view was a little more popular, as you might imagine. But the views primarily centered around this verse, and you don't need to turn, but I'll read it for you, out of Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. The scripture says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness, that's an important word in her, that he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house. So this word uncleanness was something of debate and interpretation. Rabbi Shammai, of course, he interpreted uncleanness as sexual immorality and that that would be the only appropriate reason for a man to divorce his wife. Rabbi Hillel, on the other hand, he thought of uncleanness as being any sort of indiscretion or anything in your wife that displeased you. We've shared some of this in the past, that even some of the rabbi writings of that time talked about even a wife burning breakfast, that she might be someone that displeased her husband. Any reason, right, to to find for divorce. Well, so they come to Jesus and they answer this loaded question and they're trying to catch him in the middle. They're trying, for him, they're trying to get him to answer, because either way he answers, he's going to offend one party. Not only that, but think of the political climate of the day. We remember John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist made some claims about the unlawful marriage of Herod, the ruler in that region. He said that it was unlawful for Herod to be married to his brother's wife. That got him arrested and that eventually got him beheaded. And it could be that the Pharisees were hoping to get Jesus on record. Some political uh, you know, pressure might be put on him as well. They're clearly looking to, to, to find some reason to get Jesus into trouble. But Jesus doesn't answer their question directly. They, they come asking about divorce. They come about uh, rabbi opinions. They come about looking for some political statement on divorce. And instead, Jesus chooses to talk not about divorce, but about marriage. Not about the opinions of the rabbis, but rather he goes to the scriptures. He goes to the source and he says there in verse four, he answered them. He answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Interesting that he would ask the Pharisees who did nothing but read the scriptures. <laughs> Haven't you read your Bibles, guys? That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Jesus takes them not to the law of Moses. Jesus takes them all the way back to God's intended plan and purpose from the beginning. He takes them to creation. And in so doing, we see that God's plans for marriage actually are rooted in the created order. It's not some social kind of idea that men have kind of come up with, nor even that God instituted for society, but it goes right to the very being, right, right to the very nature of our being, who we are, who we were created to be. He said, do, do you not remember that he created them male and female? It seems strange to me, but I, I feel I need to impress that on our hearts today. In our culture, God has created male and female. It's not for us to decide, well, I don't want to be a male. I want to be a female. If you were created male, you're a male, right? God created the male and female. God has created difference in gender. God is the one who ordained that. And they were created differently in the creation account. There was a different timing, right? Adam was created, then Eve was created. They were created in a very different method. Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. Eve was taken from the side of Adam. And of course, they were given different names, male, female. They are clearly distinct and different, equal in every way, but unique and different in God's plan and role of creation. So he, he starts there and then he speaks even deeper on the subject of marriage. Verse five, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You guys want to talk about divorce, but we really need to talk about marriage and what God's intended purpose was. And he gives us some insight here. Jesus, quoting from Genesis, says that a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. It speaks of priority in relationship. The relationship of a, of, of a child to their parent. Probably the closest relationship 
known growing up and in our lives, that relationship with family. But Jesus says even that relationship will be relegated to the new relationship of marriage. But not just family. It speaks of priority in every way, whether it's friendships, whether it's career, whether it's children that you might bring into a marriage. In every way, all other relationships are to become secondary in priority and the marriage relationship is to become the most important, second only to your relationship, of course, with the Lord. So there will be this leaving, there will be this prioritizing of the married relationship, and then, as both hearts are committed, they are joined. And he says that the two become one. Not three or four becoming one, it's not polygamy, there's two And who are they? There's male and female. Those two become one. Am I clear on that? Male and female, the two become one. This is God's plan for marriage. They shall become, he says, one flesh. He doesn't say they'll be one spirit or they'll be one in mind or one in emotion. No, they're going to become one flesh. Speaking very specifically of the physical sexual union between a husband and a wife. And this is a very sacred union. This is why adultery is such a violation and a breaking of that union. This is why... Being faithful sexually in marriage is of such importance. This is God's plan, that the two would become one flesh. Of course, represented in the offspring, right? We have the DNA of both mother and father represented truly. The two have become one through the physical union of one flesh. But it doesn't just restrict, I don't think, to just the physical union. Marriage is more than just physical union, but it certainly is included. It seems to be the primary uh, emphasis here. But we know that marriage, the process of marriage, is God bringing two lives, two very different lives, male and female. We're very different in many ways, but God working us together in complement, in harmony, becoming one. And so it's not just the physical, but we become one in this process of being married over time, we become one in our interests. We become one in our love of children, of our children. We become one in purpose and in ministry and in our partnering life together. We become more and more one. We're joined and, in the, and, and when we come together, there is a oneness, but that oneness is also a process of living out life together the rest of your lives. This is God's plan. It says that God has joined them. God is active in the marriage relationship. It's not just the man and the woman's decision. It's not just the ceremony. It's not just the license that the state might issue. It's God who has joined. God who has been active in this process because he is the one that is blessing it. He is the one that is purposing it. He's the one that's designed it, established it, defined it. All of this was done at creation. Man can rewrite the definition. Laws can attempt to redescribe the institute of marriage, but 
Jesus' answer to the Pharisees when they asked about the law said, remember what God had intended from the beginning. This is what marriage is according to the Bible. And he says, let not man separate it. Of course, speaking of divorce, speaking of adultery, speaking of those things that would break that joined union. Well, the Pharisees think they've got him now. So they press him in verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? They think they've got him trapped. Oh, really? If God intended that they never be separated, then why did God allow Moses to give them opportunity to be separated? They think they've really got him cornered. And we, saw, we see now how Jesus responds and speaks on divorce. We see how he talks about marriage. Consider now how he speaks to the Pharisees concerning divorce. Verse 8, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Moses did not command you to give certificate. Moses permitted you to give certificate because of the hardness of your hearts. Don't turn to this, but let me read you a verse from Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The writer of Hebrews gives warning, listen, as you drift away from God, his truth, his word, when you begin to question and, and, and kind of move in unbelief from his truth and his, his plan, there is, you open yourself up to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And this is what Jesus says is ultimately the root of divorce. The first hardness that I believe we need to be aware of is our hardness of heart towards God. You see, God has given instruction both to husband and to wife. God's word has given clear instruction on how we are to live out our roles and responsibilities in marriage. What happens is our hearts harden towards God. I don't want to be that husband. I don't want to be that wife. We harden towards the Lord. We're unwilling to submit and surrender to what God has called us to in the marriage. I don't want to be God's man in the marriage. I want my wife to be God's woman in the marriage, but I don't want to have to be God's man. I'll be God's man as soon as she becomes God's woman. And we become very good at critiquing one another. In fact, I have all the wife verses memorized. Right? And so the husband quotes the verses to the wife. The wife quotes the verses to the husband. But let me say this. The horizontal will never work until the vertical is properly aligned. Instead of quoting the verses that my wife needs to be submitting to, I need to be reading and quoting and meditating on the verses that God has called me to be responsible for and submit to him. My heart needs to be tender and soft to him first. It'll never be right with my wife if it's not right with him. 
But see, I don't want to soften to him until she softens, right? And that's the way we end up in this distance. So the hardness of heart towards God ultimately leads us to a hardness of heart towards one another. We're unwilling to forgive. We're unwilling to consider the needs of one another, even above ourselves. We become selfish. We become unwilling to yield. And it becomes this battle of the wills. And we dig our heels in and we make our, you know, we set our boundaries and it's on. We become critical of each other, wanting the other to yield to God's word before we will obey God's word. It's a hardness of heart. The writer of Hebrews says, be careful. When you begin to go down that road, it doesn't lead to better things. It leads to things getting worse. Jesus, in talking about divorce, not only does he tell us the reason, but he also gives the occasion in which divorce is permitted. Divorce occurs and, is, and in limited circumstances can, is permitted because the hardness of heart that results in sin and that sin that often takes place within the marriage, of course, is the sin of adultery. But God's plan is one man, one woman, married and committed to each other for life. But take a look what he says in verse 9 as he gives insight to this exception. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus, in simple terms, is saying this divorce for any reason and then just remarrying, that's just perpetuating adultery. You're not really, you're not really free to, to break the bond of marriage, but because you want out, you do so, and then you go and find relationship with someone else, and you marry them. And Jesus is saying that's just like committing adultery, because in God's eyes, that first marriage is still binding, except, Jesus says, for sexual immorality. So now Jesus is giving some interpretation on that passage from, Je- from Deuteronomy about finding uncleanness. He says, except for sexual immorality. That's the uncleanness that breaks the bond of marriage. How precious, how important this sexual relationship between husband and wife. And when that is broken, even uh, that becomes an exception which, in which someone can divorce and remarry without sin. And he uses a word here for sexual immorality. It's the Greek word pornea. We might translate that right into English, pornography. It is a broad word covering a wide span of sexual impropriety. Listen to this commentator, D.A. Carson. He said, it must be admitted that the word pornea itself is very broad. Pornea covers the entire range of such sins and should not be restricted unless the context requires it. So it may not be the physical consummation of adultery, but it may be some type of fornication and bondage and indulgence that violates the sexual union and fidelity of a marriage. So to divorce for any reason, Jesus is clearly saying, 
is sinful and viewed as adultery if you divorce for such convenience because God sees the original covenant as binding. Now, we have to remember our context here. Jesus is not here really trying to teach as much as he is trying to deflect and defend. This is a hostile question. And so Jesus is giving a very harsh and direct answer to men who are looking for loopholes, men that are looking to catch. The Apostle Paul would add some both confirmation as into to Jesus' teaching and also he would expound on this teaching. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul confirms the idea of adultery as being grounds for divorce, free to remarry. But he also talks about the idea of being abandoned by an unbelieving spouse. In the case where one is married and the unbeliever abandons the believing spouse, that, that person that's been abandoned, the believer who's been abandoned for reasons of their faith, they are free to remarry without sin. Now, that doesn't mean you drive them off, right? Yeah, I got abandoned. Well, who, you know, of course you're abandoned. Look at the way you're treating each other. No, but if, if for reasons of faith, in, in Paul's context, you're saying, listen, if you've got an unbeliever who just doesn't want to be, you know, we got married before you were a Christian. Now you're saved. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm out of here. Well, that, that, be, that believing spouse who has been abandoned is free to move on, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. That's our best understanding of that. And, of course, if a spouse passes away, the, the surviving spouse is also free. Paul says in Romans that when one passes away, that covenant is null and void. You're free to remarry. But other than that, God is expecting couples to hang in there, work it out and make the marriage work. Now, I know there are many circumstances and many unique uh, you know, qualifications that affect marriage and divorce and remarriage. I, I, I'm not here to address all of those this morning. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 even talks about the possibility of separation. He does not advise it, but he says, if it happens, then even then, this one separated should remain single in effort to reconcile, if possible, to the, to the spouse that you're separated from. I know that sometimes it's not possible. Some would say, well, how long? And we don't have the answers to those. There is no clear biblical definition for those terms. And I know that there are many circumstances and different situations But what Jesus is giving to us, and Paul affirms, is the heart of God. God wants us to take marriage serious and to do all that we can to to live together in peace. Now let me make some comments here for you. I I don't want you to come under condemnation. You know, you read a passage like this, and I know there are many here. Some of you are divorced and remarried. Some of you are divorced and single. Some of you may have had reason. Some of you may not have had biblical reason. And you find yourself, now what do I do? Here I am. Well, I want to encourage you. Number one, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Let me say it again. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. There is grace and there is mercy and there is forgiveness for all who will come to Christ in faith and confess their sin. 
Don't try to justify. Don't try to excuse it. Just say, just own it and say, God, here I am, and I made some mistakes to get here, but I'm asking you to forgive me and cleanse me. And and I think if you can repent, that gives you the grace to move forward in the Lord, because the grace of God is sufficient. We read it this morning in our bulletin text. All things have become new. And Paul said in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind, I'm pressing forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Repent if you need to. Get your heart right. Acknowledge the mistakes that have been made. And then move forward from here. Don't start thinking, well, I've got to... I've got to get out of this marriage because I shouldn't have gotten out of the first marriage. Don't, don't go into that loop of, uh, uh, you know, Paul said, wherever you find yourself from here forward, begin to live for God and honor his word. Make this marriage, make this moving forward your heart to do right and to do well. And I believe that the grace of God, not only will he cleanse and forgive you, but I believe he will give you the grace to walk in blessing. Well, the disciples, they, they hear this. And you kind of, you see how it kind of shakes them up. Verse 10, he says, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, Jesus, if there's really no way out, it is better not to marry. Maybe we should, should be single if it's this restrictive. Jesus said to them, verse 11, all cannot accept this saying but only those to whom it has been given. It may be that some should be single, but not everyone. In fact, really only some are able to walk in that commitment. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. This would include some kind of a genetic situation where they're not capable of having a normal married life or some other, you know, situation where they're just single from their mother's womb. Uh, there are eunuchs uh, that have been made eunuchs by men, and that could be through some, you know, war injury or some uh, physical impairment. Uh, we know that the kings of the day, they would actually make the men who served in their court eunuchs so that there would be no temptation for their wives and their harem. Jesus is referring, of course, to that those that have been made single by men. And then, of course, he said that some have chosen themselves to be eunuchs or to be single for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Of course, Jesus would be one of those, right? Jesus did not marry. Jesus chose to remain single for the sake of his ministry. The Apostle Paul, we know that he talks about being single and the freedom that it gave him in serving in the ministry. Now, most Bible scholars believe that Paul at one time had been married. And that was typical of most Pharisees. They were to be married. And it may be that Paul's wife died, that Paul's wife abandoned him when he became a Christian. Uh, We don't know the details, but clearly he writes as a single man saying, I find that it gives me certain freedom to be faithful to the ministry that God has called me to. And so Jesus said, look, he who is able to bear that, if that's what you feel called to, then commit to it. But he said, not all are called to that. I can tell you for myself, I, that was not my calling. I felt very much like I wanted to be married. And I would say, if you're not sure, you know, what's the desire of your heart? You may feel like, well, gosh, I'm single. I guess I'm called to be single. But I really, in my heart, I long to be married. Well, 
you know, God's going to bless the desire of your heart. There's nothing wrong with a desire to be married if you're single and want to be married in the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So delight yourself in him. If you have a heart to be married, God will bring that in time. Can you trust him? Can you wait on him? Don't make it your agenda. Don't make it your priority. You make God your agenda and priority and then allow him to bring and fulfill the desires of your heart. Trust in his plan. Trust in his timing. Serve him now with all your heart as you find yourself single or married. Jesus would say in another place, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things concerning life will be added. Make God the priority and then trust the Lord to lead you, if you're single, to that place where God will ultimately bless you with the desires of your heart. Conclude today with just these last few verses where Jesus now, we see his heart for the children. Verse 13, then little children were brought to him that he might uh, put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. We see the heart of Christ for the children. You know, in context here, it almost seems that Jesus is speaking, you know, giving us a little insight into God's plan for family. You know, the marriage is so important and how important the children are in the marriage. How blessed is the home when mom and dad are both committed to the Lord and to each other. That's the right venue for children to grow up and be trained. And Jesus showing the heart of God even toward the children. The disciples, of course, they're thinking he's too busy to be bothered with kids. But Jesus says, hey, let him come. The heart of Christ open to the children. They're the, they're the ones that serve as an example of the sincerity and the faith and the, and the innocent of heart that God is looking for. He lays lays his hands on them. He blesses them. He prays for them. I want to close with just a couple of thoughts here, hopefully to encourage you. You know, we're living in a culture that has lost its way uh, concerning kind of moral foundations. The scripture says that that God's word is an anchor for the soul. And you know what an anchor is. An anchor is what holds a ship in its mooring against the wind and the waves that would look to toss it and even dash it into the rocks. The anchor of God's word is to hold fast our heart, our doctrine, our understanding about marriage, about sexuality, about family. Hold on to God's word, Christian. Don't be tossed to and fro by the winds of change within culture, even within friendships and families. And and I know there are dynamics there that are difficult to navigate, but don't let go of the anchor for your soul. It's the word of God. That's the rock beneath your feet. That's the light unto your path. And God's word is clear on these matters. The second thing that I would encourage you with here in closing is to soften your heart. Listen, if you're married and your marriage is struggling, soften your heart. Don't don't keep 
the fight going. Don't keep the battle going until, you know, you win. You may win the battle, but you will lose the war because the marriage may not be able to survive that kind of determined selfishness. Soften your heart. Give place to the grace of God. Become God's spouse in that marriage. It's not about my spouse being what God's called my spouse to be. It's about me being the, the, the representation that God wants me to be. I'm called to be God's man in this marriage. And if you, if you take it and own it that way, I believe a softness of heart, you can do much to win a blessing into your marriage. The third thing I would say is trust the Lord. If you're single here today, trust the Lord. Trust his faithfulness. Your heavenly father knows what you have need of. Even before you ask it, he knows. And he knows what's best. And he's always looking to bring you the best. Trust that. Believe that. Even if it tarries, trust that God will ultimately faithfully bring that which is good to you and to your life. Not only his faithfulness, but have confidence and trust in his mercy. Whatever situation you find yourself in here today, I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to go away from this message feeling condemned. Maybe enlightened, maybe corrected, maybe challenged, but not condemned. God is a God of mercy. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Come to, come to faith in Christ, surrender these things with him, and then receive the mercy and grace that he has for you to move forward in victory and in hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this clear teaching from Jesus. And Lord, in some respects, I would have to say it's, it's a hard word. It's a very narrow word. And I know, Lord, for many, it, it challenges even beyond what we think we're able to bear. And Lord, I know there are many differences of circumstance, and, and we did not address all of those things, Lord. We did not speak of physical safety, in which case, Lord, you would never desire a spouse to be at risk physically. And many other things, Lord, that, that, that need spiritual discernment and, and good counsel. But Lord, I think that the big picture is clear to us today. The marriage is, a, is such a foundational part of your plan for our lives and society. And we need to embrace it with the integrity that you've called us to. And I pray for all of our hearts today that we will receive your word. As your heads are bowed here today, and we close in prayer, I do want to give opportunity if you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord. You may be here today and you do not have that vertical relationship in place that I spoke of. You're trying to manage everything on the horizontal, but you're having trouble because you're not right with God. You need to come and be forgiven of your sin. You need to come and have relationship with God through faith in Christ. That's where things begin. That's where hope swells from. And I'd love to pray for you if you're here today and you want to receive Christ for the very first time. 
Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe there's a hardness that's crept in. Maybe you have drifted away in unbelief. Maybe you have been enticed away. Maybe you're living with a hardness of heart and the deceitfulness of sin has captured your life and you realize today, I've got to come back to the Lord. I've got to come back to clear thinking. I've got to come back to the anchor, the foundation, the truth of God and His Word. I need to rededicate and recommit my life to Christ. I'd love to pray for you as well. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him, I would ask you to raise your hand, let me see you, and I'll pray for you. Anybody here today, the Lord's speaking to you. You need Jesus. You need to come back to Jesus. You need to soften your heart. Anyone at all this morning? God bless you, sir, in the very back there. I see you. Anyone else? There's a hand there in the middle. God bless you. Another hand over there on my left, your right, far back. Anyone else? The Lord speaking to you today. You want Jesus. You need His mercy. You need His forgiveness. You need to get your heart right with God. Just before I pray, anybody else? So, Lord, these hearts responding to You now, I pray that You would meet them with Your grace and with Your mercy. I pray that they would come in sincerity. Jesus said of the children, such as the kingdom of heaven, that they would simply come as children saying, Father, forgive me. Jesus, please cleanse me from my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. And I want to live in relationship with you. I want my heart to be right with you so that my heart can be right with others. Cleanse me, empower me, equip me. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. We want to close in a song of worship. Now, if you're married here today, I want to give you a a small homework assignment. I want you to think of a kindness that you can impart to your spouse. Maybe some words that need to be spoken in love and kindness. Maybe a, a thought that needs to be expressed. I want to challenge you with that as you leave today. You see, the, the cure for hardness is tenderness and the grace of God. Let your heart be moved today by Him and may that move you to an act of love and kindness for your spouse. I've got a spouse i got to think about too. <laughs> God bless you today. Let's worship the Lord.